You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Ah, opening day baseball. Well, for most of the teams, not the one that you were supposed to be listening to right now, right here on ESPN Radio. No, no, no. That game was postponed, thereby requiring my services. April fools on me. It's Spain and Fitz, solo Spain tonight, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We are taking you into Astros A's. That's a 9 Eastern start right here on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. It's been kind of a weird day, not just the April Fool's on me of not having the night off, but it started with Roy Williams retiring. Um, This was a surprising announcement. In fact, many people, as with many pieces of news today, kind of thought it might be a fake but the North Carolina coach, who's been a, uh, a longtime face and legend of the sport, leaving. And it feels almost like part of uh, this era of college basketball ending. You combine his first year with a team going out in the first round with Coach K's Duke team not making it. With the pull of the G League, the NCAA plus SCOTUS, where amateurism is getting very carefully looked at, some of the players going abroad. All of it feels like it's coming together to make me question whether there will be future versions of a Roy Williams or a Coach K the same way that there were before. Feels like things are getting different, and his departure will just be a part of perhaps that era ending. Here's what it sounded like when he talked about it today. Everybody wants to know the reason, and the reason is very simple. Every time somebody asked me how long I was going to go, I would always say, as long as my health allows me to do it. But deep down inside, I knew that the only thing that would speed that up if I did not feel that I was any longer the right man for the job. I'm not going to say the best man because I never thought I was the best at anything. But 15 years at Kansas, I thought I was the right man. And this time at North Carolina, I thought I was the right man. I no longer feel that I am the right man for the job. 18 seasons at UNC, 15 at Kansas, an unbelievable record, more than 900 wins, a Hall of Famer, three national championships. Um, But maybe it was time. Like I said, this past year, the first his team has ever been bounced in the first round. And as he leaves, certainly a massive, massive space to fill in that position. We'll talk to Jay Billis later in the show about Roy Williams, his effect on the game, who might take that job and some more college basketball news. So we got that at the beginning of the day. Then we're getting ready for opening day. We're excited to see all of our teams for the first time. And mid-interview right here on our air, while talking to Mike Greenberg, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred drops this. We've decided in, that um, they will not play tonight against the Mets. Uh, we've done some contact tracing. We want to do some additional testing out of an abundance of caution. And uh, we have rain protection uh, tomorrow. Uh, so we're, we're going to go ahead and um, uh, cancel tonight's game and more to follow based on the test results that we get. Yeah, and of course, that rain protection didn't matter because we now know also postponed uh, Friday's game. Uh, We had heard from Nationals manager Mike Rizzo on Wednesday that the team would be down five players and a staff member because of COVID protocols, that at least one person had a positive test. Uh, So we had a feeling that this might happen, but we get the official information that today and tomorrow uh, postponed. Three players have tested positive, according to Mike Rizzo today, one with a fever, two asymptomatic, and the player who the Nationals believe is positive is being retested. Uh, Rizzo doesn't know when they'll be able to play again. A sort of ominous start for a season. Uh, we, we believed ourselves to be in maybe a different position 
at the beginning of this year as last year's uh, bubble-less go. Uh, and that obviously attested to by the fact that there are fans in many of the stadiums. And in the Rangers' case, it will be full, allegedly, or at least every seat is for sale for their Monday game. Um, we may not be in quite as different of a position as we believe. Uh, certainly things are on the on, on the up and up. The vaccines are going to help. But um, this might be a blessing in disguise. I, I don't want to say that if something uh, bad happens as a result of this, if anyone's seriously ill beyond the expectation we have now. But to get it over with now and remind people that this is still very much a reality might end up benefiting uh, a, a, a league that isn't in a bubble, that is trying to do this the best they can. Uh, contact tracing certainly better than it was last year, so that hopefully will help. We'll find out soon, hopefully, when the Nats and Mets will actually get started. Jeff Passan going to join me for two segments coming up to talk about that big Lindor deal that just finished, uh, the Nats cancellation and everything else. Um, but yeah, April Fool's on me, because that, that was the game you're supposed to be listening to tonight, and instead, you are you got me. And by the way, speaking of April Fool's, I was working all day. For those of you who didn't see, our, our Around the Horn show had our dogs uh, and in Izzy's case, a fish representing us. So I was wrangling my dog and working on prepping for that show. And I've missed a lot of what went on. Were those really, uh, you know, was the gap really filled for Michael Strahan or did he pay that off today? I want to know if those teeth were real. Um, I saw something with Mina Kimes. We'll play that later. But anything I might have missed. So hit me up at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz. Let me know any good April Fools that actually got pulled off today that gotcha or or that you thought were funny. And we'll get to those later in the show. Uh, once the game started today in MLB, uh, things just continued to be weird. It's Solo Spain, by the way. Sarah Spain with you on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz is off tonight. We were both supposed to be off, but uh, smart guy. He made plans. Uh, I thought I might relax. And here I am. Uh, once the game started today, they were weird. It was snowing in Detroit, which actually was beautiful. The slow-mo shots, if you go to the Detroit Tigers media, of Miguel Cabrera hitting a homer. And slow jogging in the snow uh, was beautiful. But what happened was he hit it high and deep to right. And he, I don't know if he couldn't tell if it made it over or if the snow kind of made it hard to see, but he sort of jogged. Then he rounded first and it seemed like he wasn't un, uh, wasn't sure of where it went. So then he decided to sprint and actually slid into second only to find out that it was in fact a home run and finish the trot. Here's what it sounded like. Waiting on a 1-1 in a scoreless game. First inning, swinging a high fly ball through the snowflakes and right. Deep, Naylor back to the wall, looking up. And it's gone! A home run! How about it? <laughs> Miguel Cabrera slides into second because he thought it was a double. Yeah, funny funny stuff. And again, go, go check out... Um, I think the, the the caption on the Tigers tweet is putting a uh, petition to put this in the Louvre. It is. It's it's a beautiful shot. Um, and meanwhile, in Colorado, no snow in the way, but Cody Bellinger's up to bat. He hits a home run to left, and the ball gets right past the reach of the outfielder over the railing. But then there was a base running error by Justin Turner because he thought the ball was caught. So he ran back to first to be tagged out, but then Bellinger passed him on the base path thinking it was just a simple home run. So it turns into an RBI single for Bellinger, who then is called out for passing Turner on the base path. Um, it just was, a, I, everyone forgot how to baseball. It's been a while, I guess. Uh, it's been a while. By the way, that Miggy home run you heard was on 97-1, the ticket. Uh, maybe we'll get some sound later of, of the Bellinger uh, bilk, bilf. 
I don't know what we're calling that. But um, unfortunately for him, that's how it ended up going. It's Spain and Fitz. It is opening day in baseball. You'll notice I didn't mention my team. They might have played who could have the time to watch. Not a result we need to get into. Uh, we'll talk all things baseball. Maybe not that uh, next with Jeff Passan on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. No Fitz tonight. He uh, rightly has the night off. Uh, and we were supposed to be listening to Nats Mets right now. That game postponed because of COVID. Tomorrow's postponed. So we'll get the update here on when we can expect to see those teams playing. But lots of other teams in action today. And we've got Astros A's at 9 Eastern right here on ESPN Radio. Joining us on the Goodyear Hotline, someone who's going to give us an update on the games today, predictions for the season, the All-Star game, what's happening with Lindor, all of the good stuff. Two full segments here with the ESPN MLB insider, Jeff Passan. So uh, it's going to be great to get all of the insight from him on what should be a very interesting baseball season. I'm curious how much we can actually carry over from last year. Um, There was a season, but it was so different and so short that I don't know how much we can carry over the... um, what we saw to player uh, players and how they played, what we saw in terms of teams and where they fared, um, and a lot of offseason moves that are changing our expectations in some pretty drastic ways, especially for some uh, non-contenders last year. Jeff, thanks so much for giving us some time. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Well, you know, I'm supposed to have the night off and the Cubs lost, but other than that, I'm great. What a great night. <laughs> 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 I, I was I was one I was wondering if you were still recovering from my Twitter shot at you a couple days ago. It was strange. It was a weird thing. I didn't. I wasn't really sure where you were going with it. I played along and then I bowed out because I was still confused midway through the exchange of what exactly was happening. Um, I, I was I was just I was just trying to say you have no swag. That's all. Ah uh, ah uh, okay. That 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 is clear then, and I agree. I, I never have and likely never will. Certainly not Paige Yeah, Beckers I, I feel, see, I feel, the, I feel the same way. Like, I thought I it was am, a shot I, at Paige. Even I was like, the, so confused. Even, <laughs> even, say, even saying the word swag makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I was uncomfortable when I was reading your 20 questions about the upcoming season and you said something like, no, this is not a something Stan account. And I was like, no, no, we're too old for that, Jeff. We're, we're too old for that. <laughs> Um, but let's 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 get into that great piece. And if people haven't read it, it's on the dot com. It's a really great way to get yourself sort of set for the MLB's, MLB season that started today with 20 different questions and takes on things. Let's start with something that wasn't in there, though. The Nats Mets being postponed because of COVID. Do you know anything about when we can expect to actually see them get on the field? Boy, um, I mean, at earliest right now, they're talking Saturday. But now, now here's the here's the interesting thing, right? They've been wearing these monitoring devices that essentially tell you who the close contacts are, and you can isolate it down to a small group of people. So, you know, first positive test for the player comes up yesterday. Uh, today, Thursday, uh, you know, you get your first round of. Oh, God, someone tested positive testing on the rest of the players. So you could theoretically have Thursday and Friday for players who are outside that close contact window having negative tests. Now, if one of those players who was outside the close contact window happens to test positive, all of a sudden now, you know, we're in a a totally different situation where this thing 
could last for multiple days at a time as opposed to having Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom going on opening day like they were supposed to today. And and the issue, of course, is when you get multiple players, as they did today, suddenly the contact tracing web deepens and uh, furthers. And uh, we, we know one thing uh, about COVID. If we know one thing about COVID, it is a very contagious thing, especially with people who right. have been in close quarters. And uh, a lot of these guys flew together. So uh, you hope that it is limited to, to the three or four that it's at right now, but we have seen outbreaks last year with the Marlins and with the Cardinals where uh, it's gotten much worse than that. Jeff Passan with us, ESPN MLB insider, to talk about the Nats-Mets cancellation, but also everything else going on today, opening day, games that did happen. We saw the Red Sox game also postponed because of weather. Uh, but right before all of this, we get the news of Francisco Lindor. And it's a massive deal, third largest guarantee in baseball history behind only Trout and Betts. It's the first big deal handed out by the new owner for the Mets, Steve Cohen, who promised he would show up in the way of his wallet. And as you mentioned in that story I talked about, the first contract of five major shortstops that are set to hit free agency this season. It's a huge number. Is there any way he regrets that because he's the first of those shortstops, because of the expiration of the CBA and how people might believe the spending might go up or any other reason? Or do you think that he got the most that he could get out of the Mets? Sarah, one day I would like to show up in the way of my wallet. That's a wonderful (laughs) euphemism for spending. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. Like, isn't that our aspiration in life to just show up somewhere in the way of our wallet? It's a, yes. It's a beautiful thing to do. Um, I Let's put it this way. I, I, the original version of the column that's up on ESPN.com now had a completely different first question that I was answering. And that question was essentially, what's Francisco Lindor doing not trying to get a little bit closer to the $325 million they were offering and asking for $385 million. Now, it turns out that he was trying to leverage his way to a uh, $1 million more total than Fernando Tatis Jr. got in his extension and in the end gets $34.1 million a year for a decade on top of the 22.3 that he's making this year. So uh, his guarantee from the Mets is actually a little bit closer to $365 million. Uh, than the 341 on the extension. I can't see a scenario unless he goes out and just absolutely sets the world on fire this year in which he would have done a whole lot better out on the free agent market. He had a perfect storm going in his favor. And that perfect storm, Sarah, was an owner who has said that he wants to spend. It was uh, a team that had embraced him. It was... Uh, a franchise in the New York Mets that haven't had a star like him since, you know, David Wright, Jose Reyes. Like, it's it's a franchise that wants to be there in lockstep with the New York Mets. And in order to do that, Sarah, you need guys like Francisco Lindor. You need guys who are, if not the best at what they do, then near the best. So I suppose... There's a possibility. There's a world in which Corey Seager goes and gets, you know, 350 or $400 million this offseason. I don't see uh, Javi Baez getting that. I don't see Carlos Correa. I don't see Trevor Story. I think when it's all said and done, Francisco Lindor will be either the best paid or the second best paid of this crazy shortstop class of 21-22. 
It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain with you talking to Jeff Passan on opening day for baseball. Lots of questions about this season and the future. You know, one of the big things for Lindor is, you know, they go trade for him and they don't want to simply lose him because of what amounts to about 16 million difference over 10 years. So Steve Cohn is willing to step right. up in part because he's on that deal that they're not going to have him at all. Meanwhile, a lot of other players are looking around and not getting the extensions or the deals or the, or the offers in free agency they're looking for. And part of that is about that collecting collective bargaining agreement I mentioned, the competitive balance tax threshold that might change. It might rise, allowing the spending to go up. Meanwhile, owners claiming that the pandemic bled them dry and they don't have any money. So there's a little bit of a stall there. We only have about two minutes here. So if you could sort of guess at which of those wins the day in the deals over the next year or so, the pretend broke or the CBA possibly changing? Uh, I think we're going to see kind of a confluence of that, right? I think because there aren't deals coming together right now, uh, the likelihood is that most of them are going to wait. And the ones who wait are going to be rewarded. Typically, spending in a new collective bargaining agreement tends to go up. Typically, uh, organizations are feeling good about where they are, and there is a little bit more room near the luxury tax threshold. And I think part of the reason that there haven't been big contracts this offseason is because players recognize that, hey, when the CBT threshold is higher, which it's going to be, uh, clubs are going to spend more and I am likelier to get higher dollar values then. So either you pay me big now, and we saw big in terms of 341 for Lindor, we saw big 340 for Tatis, we saw big 85 million for a guy in Lance McCullers who's never pitched 130 innings, we saw big 82 and a half million dollars for Salvador Perez, the catcher who's in his 30s. Uh, like we've seen big numbers, and that's what guys are willing to forego free agency for. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch as we try to reconcile the losses from last year, which ones are real, which ones are fake. Are they really biblical losses, as uh, a Ricketts claimed? Um, <laughs> no. And how what we saw no, last that year. We, that much we, <laughs> we know. know it's not they biblical. They are not biblical. <laughs> um, and how much that affects this year. We're going to get into that next. I want to ask Jeff Passon what we could carry over from last year in terms of performance to this year. And looking at some of the games from today, 11-6, we got some high scores today. We'll ask about those next here on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's solo Spain tonight. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, Apple iTunes, the ESPN app, wherever you get your podcasts. Rejoining us here on the Goodyear Hotline, it's ESPN MLB insider Jeff Passan. Thanks for the uh, extra time, Jeff. Lots to get to, and I want to get to some of the games that we saw today. Was there anything that shocked you so far on opening day? Oh, my God. Um, yeah, like plenty of stuff. I, you know, I, I got to be honest. I've been out of pocket for a couple of minutes. Okay, I'm checking the score. Uh, the Rockies <laughs> are beating the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Yankees so, lost, right? Rock- so I guess we were wrong. N- neither of those teams is going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least the Yankees lost. At least the Yankees lost to the Blue Jays, though, who went out and got, even though he's injured right now, this offseason got George Springer and, uh, you know, got Marcus Simeon and added – um, and were a playoff team last year. Uh, the Rockies sucked last year and then went and traded their best player and gave $51 million away with it. <laughs> so the Rockies, uh, like, the Rockies are a bad baseball team, and they're beating the Los Angeles Dodgers, who, you know, come into the season with aspirations of 
winning their second consecutive championship and being like the best team ever. Yeah, the so, over is like 115 course, wins. Because, because, <laughs> yeah, because, because you know what, Sarah? Baseball is an amazing sport like that. It's, it's what I love most about baseball, that a team that by comparison to others is not good can go out on any given day mm-hmm. and beat the team that clearly is seen as being the best in the sport. And I'm sorry, but if this happens in the NFL, it is the like monumental upset of the season. If this happens in the NBA, it's because of load management. When this happens in baseball, though, you can put your opening day lineup out there, your best lineup, your A lineup, and your best pitcher. You can put them all out there, and you can still lose. And the fact that that can happen any time in baseball is one of the things that keeps me in love with it. It does, and that's what keeps, you know, Orioles fans watching for just those days. <laughs> Something goes terribly was, wrong for the other team. I was, <laughs> I was on, so, so I, was on, I was on the Daily Wager earlier today, and uh, they're, they're lunatics. Um, and I, I don't want to call them degenerates because I was going to say, a, a I think the preferred term is degenerate. <laughs> is okay. In, in, if that is the preferred nomenclature, <laughs> dude, then I'm going with it. Um, I, I, for, I forgot who it was. I think, um, I think it was Doug Kazarian. I'm not sure though. Uh, but one of the guys on there said that he placed a bet, uh, that the Rockies were going to get to 30 wins before the Orioles. And I started thinking about the implications of this bet. That means that if this is a, an Orioles team or a Rockies team that play to expectations, it is going to be 80 games before they get to 30 wins. <laughs> and the idea that they are locking themselves in to 80 games of watching the Colorado yeah. Rockies or Baltimore mm-hmm. Orioles is absolute lunacy to me. Yeah. To someone who just waxed poetically on the romantic side of baseball uh, I like I like my romance in in short bursts, and uh, I, I will watch the Rockies for one day beating the Dodgers. Don't don't don't. <laughs> God, I knew when I said that. That's uh, exactly where you're gonna go. <laughs> uh, it is it is masochistic to imagine that you would have to focus that closely on two bad teams. Let's let's look at the oh. other side of things. And Jeff Basson is with us here on Spain and Fitz. We know we've heard about the Mets getting significantly better. We've heard about the Padres trying to chase the Dodgers. We've heard about the White Sox, who, without the injury to Eloy Jimenez, might have been even more impressive this year. What are the other teams that made enough changes in the offseason to really change their fate this year? Um, you know, I look at a team like Milwaukee that added on the margins uh, you know, they bring in Colton Wong, who's a gold glove winning second baseman who's shown something with his bat in the past. They bring in Jackie Bradley Jr., a gold glove winning center fielder who's shown some stuff with his bat in the past. It's those small but significant types of upgrades, especially in the National League Central, that can win you that division. And I know you're a Cubs fan and I know you don't want to hear it. Uh, I think the Brewers are the best team in that division, and they had a really good win. They had a really good win today. Uh, they were down five to two going into the ninth against Alex Colomay, the new. Uh, uh, we don't know how long he's going to be, but for now, the closer for the Twins. And uh, they scored three runs, and Josh Hader comes in ninety-eight to a hundred with a runner on second base in the tenth inning, and gets three strikeouts and eleven pitches, and. 
three pitches later, uh, the Brewers went on a walk-off on opening day. So uh, a good start for them, and they've got Corbin Burns going uh, in game two, and he may be even better than their starter in game one, Brandon Woodruff. Spain and Fitz talking to ESPN MLB insider Jeff Passan on opening day. Everybody's saying Dodgers, Yankees in the end. Let's say something goes wrong for those two. Who are the most likely other teams to actually be in the mix at the end? I mean, I you know, I think the trendy pick is the Padres, and that makes sense. They're extraordinarily talented. I think some people are sleeping on the Atlanta Braves, Sarah. Um, but let's remember, the Braves had a 3-1 lead in the NLCS against the Dodgers last year. If the Braves hadn't blown that, they may be winning worlds, uh, you know, wearing a World Series ring right now. Um, so uh, when Atlanta does that and then goes out and resigns Marcelo Zuna and brings in Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley and gets back Mike Soroka from Achilles injury, uh, I mean that is an uber talented team right there. Um, for, uh, on the AL side, you know, it's it's interesting. I I have the Yankees going to the World Series. I have little to no confidence in that pick though. Uh, I think the White Sox are are a very good team with a great bullpen and starting pitching that worries me a little but has upside and a really good lineup. So I suppose the pick would probably be them. I'm also, I think, the high man on the totem pole uh, with, with the Rays. And you saw Tyler Glass now go out today, and uh, he was my Cy Young pick in the American League. He looked dominant against the Miami Marlins today. I mean, he was almost unhittable. Uh, so I like the Rays still. The Blue Jays are a trendy pick. Uh, you have the A's, the Astros, the Angels out west, all dueling for first there. The American League's going to be very interesting this year because I don't know that we're going to have a great team coming out of it. And, and come the postseason, to me, it's the Dodgers of the field, Sarah. And yeah. despite them looking like they're going to lose today, I'm taking the Dodgers. I am too, despite being in the business long enough to know that when everybody is saying something, it usually doesn't happen, i.e. Chiefs Super Bowl. Uh, So I'm always looking with a little bit of cynicism. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. I know it's a busy day. Pleasure is always mine. And uh, you may not be glad that you're having to work tonight, but I'm glad that you're having to work because that meant that I got to talk with you. Aw, that sounded genuine too. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> it, was, it, it wasn't. <laughs> there we go. Sticks the landing. Jeff Passett, ESPN MLB Insider. Go read that story, the 20 questions about the upcoming season. Very informative. Uh, and lots more we could have gotten to in there, including the potential movement on the All-Star game. Uh, exactly what COVID seating and protocols will look like for the rest of the season. All that good stuff. Some of the 20 players to look out for that are up and coming. Go check it out. It's on ESPN.com. It's Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain with you here on ESPN Radio. Coming up. We didn't get a chance to talk about Draymond Green's comments the first time when they were just tweets. But thankfully for us, he's doubled down, this time on audio. We'll respond to it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain tonight, supposed to be Nats-Mets, but that has been postponed, as is tomorrow's Nats-Mets. We don't know when they're going to play. COVID rearing its ugly head early in the baseball season on opening day. We also saw one game affected by weather, but a lot of games in action. Good stuff from Jeff Passan there, talking about all sorts of baseball issues. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, taking you into Astros A's at 9 Eastern on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to get into some Roy Williams talk with Jay Billis, some NCAA talk. 
But I wanted to address the Draymond Green thing that started with some tweets and is now escalated. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Now, a couple days ago, uh, while watching tournament stuff, Draymond tweeted, here's a little bit of what he said. I've been seeing a lot of talk about the pay gap between women and men, especially in sports. It's not even close. But let's stop allowing y'all complaints to fall on deaf ears due to numbers. As long as y'all make the argument about pay while the revenue stays the same, they'll continue to point at the revenue not being high enough to cover bigger salaries. While that's true in damn near every business, how do we take that card out of their pockets? That's the key to changing the pay. There's no argument for lack of revenue unless you make those that say they stand for women actually stand up. The NBA wasn't always the global game it is today. It wasn't always driving as much revenue as it does today, but there were people behind it building the platform and, more importantly, telling individual stories and building up the interest in the players. That's how the game took off. Who's building up y'all platform? Who's telling the individual stories of how great y'all are? Building the interest in transforming women's basketball into a global game. Some may think it's global because the women go overseas and play during the year, but the response isn't big enough. Having to go overseas shouldn't be the case, but because the stories aren't told, especially in the States, y'all hands are forced. I've been asked to do so many PSAs this month on women empowerment. I said, no, it's hypocritical because these same companies are telling women empowerment are not putting their money where their mouth is. Call on these companies to support y'all, to infuse capital into the business. Stop allowing them to yell women empowerment for the look. No company grows without funding. Y'all business can grow with the proper funding and storytelling. Make these huge companies commit money. That's empowerment. Or don't yell women empowerment. I could go on and on, but love to help drive these discussions with you. Lastly, if the goal is to be as, become as big as the NBA, you have to push for NBA things. Why are there no discussions about Paige Becker's leaving this year? Huge part is the payoff not as big. How do you change the norms? He goes on and on. It's all on the right track. It's all the kind of allyship that women in sports are looking for. Yes, holding companies' feet to the fire. Yes, women empowerment isn't something you say during Women's History Month or something you plaster on your products without actually investing and supporting, without showing up every day with sponsorships and changing. Unfortunately, in his responses to people, he made it very clear that he is unaware of the work currently being done. His claims are that women and the women who are working in sports and the people who are supporting leagues and athletes, the agents, the brands, the leagues themselves are not doing the work, that they're just complaining. And so there's a lot of pushback and a lot of people who said, thank you, Draymond, we want you to be on our side. We Thank you for showing up. But we want to let you know there is work being done. For years, people have been telling these stories. There's an entire vertical at ESPN called ESPNW, entirely dedicated to female athletes and women sports fans. The WNBA is telling stories. The National Women's Soccer League is an influx of massive investors, myself included, as a new co-owner of the Red Stars. Brands are getting on board, right? There's a massive movement of this. It's been this way for decades. The problem is we can only do so much from within, We need the companies, we need the male allies, we need the people with power and leverage. So Draymond has the opportunity to reflect on what he said in light of everyone responding to his tweets, a number of professional female athletes telling him, we are doing the work, we are telling the stories. Don't say this like we aren't doing it. You haven't done the work to see what we have already been doing. Join the fight, sit back and get educated, learn, and then be a part of speaking out on it. So what did he say after hearing all the comments from the women doing the work? Here's a, here's a conversation with Kareth Burke. I'm really tired of seeing them complain about the lack of pay because, because they're doing themselves a disservice by just complaining, you know. And, right. They're not and, just complaining. Huh? 
they're, they're not just complaining, really. But they are because they're not laying out steps that they can take to change that. And so it, it's coming off as a complaint because the people that can change it, they're just going to continue to say, well, the revenue isn't there. The revenue isn't there. So if you don't bring in the revenue, we can't up your pay. They're going to keep using that. But the reality is, as true as that is, it's an excuse because everyone says we support women. We support women empowerment. We support women in the workplace. We, we do this for women. We do X for women, blah, blah, blah. And everyone uses it to their advantage. Yet these women are not using these people that are saying those very things to their advantage. So then it just becomes a complaint that falls on deaf ears. So a lot of people have responded, Megan Rapino, respectfully. Do you really think we haven't been out here asking for more investment, more resources, more storytelling, more branding and marketing dollars, more youth investment, more investment in coaches, more TV time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to infinity? Laisha Clarendon, friend of the show, WNBA star, first VP of the WNBA uh, Players Association. Shout out to NBA guys who come to tell people in women's sports what we need to do to grow the game. Thanks. Now we'll ask for more resources. Tell the powers of B to tell our stories more and generally just start to push things like the NBA. Problem solved. Maria Taylor, my colleague at ESPN. Let's be careful not to place the responsibility to fix the problem of a patriarchal society's apathetic view of women in sports on women, which is the point here, right? You're asking the people who are being marginalized and exploited why they haven't fixed their own exploitation. Here's Neko Ogumike of the Sparks, who I believe is still the president of the WNBPA. I think what I'm feeling is a lot of miseducation and ignorance. And I, I'm always careful about using the word ignorance because I think we've grown up to believe that it has a negative connotation when it really doesn't. And um, it's, it's great to know that there's allies out there that are seeking to see the women's game be better um, and the women's business be better in sport. Um, but I do think that a lot of that education and dispelling of the ignorance that we experience just on an individual level, it can really be kind of dissolved by us having conversations. So um, with that, I, I'm i very, 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 very tired of people attacking each other, especially on social media. Yeah, that part, too. It's solo Spain, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. I think the problem is, especially on social media, is so much nuance is lost in trying to engage in these conversations. So disagreeing with Draymond at all, people will term that attacking someone who's trying to help. Only agreeing with Draymond and not understanding why people would say he hasn't put in the work to understand what's being done then feels like it's denying the experiences of the women doing the work. One of the things that came up multiple times that caused my mentions to be flooded was in part me RTing something from Lasia that compared the idea of white people who want to help with issues of race, but step into spaces and speak out of turn because they haven't spent the time reading and educating themselves on the work that's been done on the decades of conversation, on the protests, on the books, on the people that are every single day living this and trying to change it. And then they're looking at, at black people and saying, here's why it's not working out for you. Or here's why things haven't changed. That's a very uncomfortable thing to say for Lation, for anyone else, and certainly was for me to admit that I've been in moments where I want to help with an issue, but I haven't done enough work. So I don't know that I'm either repeating things that have been said, or I'm ignoring things that have already been figured out, or I'm just not respecting the people that are doing it from within. 
it's easy to be defensive when someone calls you out for not quite being up to speed yet. That's all that's happening with Draymond. People are saying, please come on board. We want your influence. We want your leverage. Ever heard of an inclusion rider? Next time you sign a big deal, why don't you tell them you have to have a WNBA player in this ad with me or doing this deal with me? There are so many ways you can use your voice and your power. There's so many ways that the NBA benefited from politicians and society and ideas about the spaces men can live in and work in. And that's why those leagues grew so much, that women haven't been able to have taxpayer-funded stadiums and everything else the way that the early years of men's pro leagues did. Look at that. Learn about that. And then decide you want to help change it. That's great. But calling people who are talking about their marginalization complainers while you yourself have not done the work to understand the decades spent trying to look into why women's sports cannot get the investment required to change the revenue is to skip all the steps and then try to be the spokesperson or the mouthpiece for a fight that isn't yours, which we want you on board, but it's the same as white people who go in and try to take over issues of race and they haven't done the work. Of course, people always use the revenue as the example as to why they don't want to spend as much or give as much or care as much. That doesn't change until investment changes. And the investment is what the fight has been about all along. We want more TV time. We want better storytelling. We want respect. Guess what? The WNBA also had to deal with the fact that plenty of male athletes and sports writers dogged it from day one, made jokes about it, wrote columns about it being a joke. If you don't get that some of the very same people that we need to open doors for us are the ones who closed them when this started. If you're just blaming us for things not growing, you're missing the entire story. So we want you to be on our side, all of you. We want you to help. But you have to do the work. All those female athletes that you tagged, ask them what they've been doing. Don't tag them and tell them how it should be. That's why we're frustrated. Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up here on Spain and Fitz, we got lots of college basketball news to get to. We got the retirement of one of the great coaches. Is this sort of a pivot point for the sport? We'll also talk about a new hire and whether we think it's a good fit. An expert's going to join us. Stacks to do it all. ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. If you're wondering where Nets, sorry, Nats, Mets is, well, postponed. And we're not sure when we're going to be seeing those teams after the Nats had a COVID outbreak. So that game off the air tonight, but we are taking you into Astros A's at 9 Eastern here on ESPN Radio. Fitz is off. Uh, Lucky Duck made some plans before they scooped in and told us that the game was canceled. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear hotline. I want to hear about your opening day if you had one, uh, there was so much conversation about baseball getting back in action and actually getting to have fans in the stands. Most places offering just a small percentage. Um, I don't even know if everybody ended up showing up for the Cubs today because as is almost always the case for Chicago opening day, a brisk 32 degrees, I believe. And I just got a warning that there might be snow coming my way. It's supposed to be in the 60s two days from now. Ain't that how it always goes for Chicago? Uh, so I'm not sure if they even got the 20% or whatever it was at Wrigley today, but there certainly were fans there. And so I've just put it up at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz. Let me know. Did you go to opening day today? Was it great to be back? What did you eat? What did you drink? Did it feel safe? How was the vibe in a not full stadium? Um if your team is one that never has a full stadium, you could skip that part. <laughs> maybe maybe they're, uh, maybe it felt totally normal to be mostly empty. Um, but yeah, 
let, let me know about that. And again, if I missed any good April Fools, uh, let me know about those two. I was busy all day. Uh, the, the news before baseball today, as we were getting ready for opening day, was the surprising news of Roy Williams retiring. Um, this is a guy who is a, a, a legend still coaching, um, a Hall of Famer with over 900 wins. Um, and while he's the age that you might expect someone to step down, I think we were all a little surprised. Uh, here's what it sounded like today when he talked about his decision. Everybody wants to know the reason, and the reason is very simple. Every time somebody asked me how long I was going to go, I would always say, as long as my health allows me to do it. But deep down inside, I knew that the only thing that would speed that up if I did not feel that I was any longer the right man for the job. I'm not going to say the best man because I never thought I was the best at anything. But 15 years at Kansas, I thought I was the right man. And this time at North Carolina, I thought I was the right man. I no longer feel that I am the right man for the job. It's a very emotional exit. Um, A legendary coach, a guy who was synonymous uh, for so long, um, not just with North Carolina, but before that at Kansas. Uh, Over 15 years apiece at each spot. And... Uh, you know, 18 total at UNC, 485 and 163, the record there with the national titles in 05, 09, and 17. Um, to me, what what this feels like is, is not just a legendary coach who we associate with the greats in the game and associate very much with the program. It feels like potentially a transition point for the sport itself. Now, maybe I'm being dramatic. Maybe I'm over exaggerating his specific role, but I'm combining it with what we're seeing from Coach K, who just feels a little different of late. Not just because Duke wasn't in the tournament, but because it felt like the Blue Bloods in general are not what they used to be. The game is changing. It's changing because players are going to foreign countries to play. It's changing because the G League is trying to present a real viable opportunity to play that competes with the collegiate model It's changing because of the FBI investigations and the way there's actual accountability for some, just a small part, some of the illegal payments to players. It's changing because right now, we're going to get to this later in the show, there's a Supreme Court case about NCAA amateurism and whether or not the, the faux model that's been held up for decades, even while the financials have changed drastically, can still be presented as legal and fair. As all of this is happening... We're just sort of seeing the stalwarts and the guys that we've always known to be the pillars of college men's college basketball either slowing down or stepping away. And I don't know if we're going to get another round of the Coach K's and, and the Roy Williams. I don't know if that's yet to come or if the model will keep changing so rapidly that there won't be that kind of time or ability because of one and dones to establish programs the same way. There's certainly coaches that have been at it for a long time. And there's certainly programs that have established themselves within college basketball. But to me, for whatever reason, this moment feels like the beginning of in the next couple of years, a number of older coaches who have been at it for a long time, who have established themselves as the gold standard stepping away and, and leaving us wondering, are there those who follow or has the game changed too much? It's solo Spain, Spain and Fitz. Uh, Williams, of course, in addition to all of the success, had the massive academic scandal at UNC that we know about perhaps more than others that were similarly as dire. 
solely because of the specifics of it, right? The idea that there would be collegiate athletes who couldn't read. Um, you can't have success in men's basketball at the highest levels in the NCAA without probably getting caught up in some form of controversy. But for the most part, those who speak on his behalf have all positive things to say. It's not flawless, but compared to many of the others, um, there are plenty who will look at him and think he is one of the one of the greats and, and one of the ones who did it right, quote unquote, if you can believe anyone does in this particular business. But you look at the other guys around him. Jim Beheim is 76. Rick Pitino is 68. Tom Izzo is 66. Coach K is 74. And as I say those names, you, of course, think about some of the scandals associated with their programs and where they've been as well. It's not it's not easy to get through with a lot of W's without taking any L's. Uh, but I would say Roy Williams is is one who who did it uh, for the most part, avoiding most of that. Um, and certainly is going to be a massive, massive job to fill. We look around at the landscape of college basketball and, and the jobs that are opening. There's a lot of debate to be had about whether it's still a great job. Indiana is the one that comes to mind specifically. I hear a lot of different people arguing it's just not the same job anymore. You can go there and you can have your name associated with the program where people are going to act very disappointed if it doesn't have success. But deep down, most people don't see it the same way anymore. I don't think that's the case for UNC with their first coaching search in 18 years. Many think it'll immediately start with Tar Heels alumni. Um, but who knows? They may think out of the box. It's been a really long time since anyone's been looking to set someone up in that job. Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain. We're brought to you by Wendy's, proud sponsor of the 2021 John R. Wooden Men's and Women's Player of the Year Award. Coming up next, my buddy Izzy Gutierrez is going to talk to us about a story that hasn't been covered enough or maybe hasn't been covered the right way. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Solo Spain tonight, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. It is April Fool's, so uh, if you missed Around the Horde today, try to catch... A re-airing of it. Uh, there were three dogs and a goldfish as panelists. Uh, the goldfish, I think, should have won, although I appreciated that a rescue dog got the FaceTime and advocated to adopt, not shop. But Izzy Gutierrez's goldfish, I believe they were, uh, they, I believe they were uh, Tuna Turner, uh, Finn <laughs> Diesel, and what was the last one? Swim Shady. Swim Shady. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, they were they were clearly the stars of the show. And Izzy Gutierrez joins us now on the Goodyear Hotline. Uh, you crushed it as a fish, dude. Well, thank you, Sarah. And while I do agree with you that I probably should have gotten the victory, I do think that KB's message was uh, more important. I was just going to give the uh, obvious uh, Florida Marlins season preview and then make a, a plea <laughs> for them to bring back the, um, yes. the home run uh what was that? The home run statue that uh, went off whenever. Yeah, you have a run. bunch so, of cousins you know, on the Marlins, KB's right? Message. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it was hilarious. Everyone should go watch. And of course, my dog Banks unfortunately ate several panelists, uh, namely Izzy's <laughs> Izzy's fish. Um, let's talk about Kevin Durant. This is an interesting conversation. It's one that we haven't gotten into on the show, in part because. It's hard for me to know what to say when people's direct messages are unveiled and they sound like 12-year-olds. Um, and in the case of Kevin Durant versus Michael Rappaport, there's not a real sympathetic figure for me. I have been a fan of Kevin Durant's basketball game, and I've had a lot of sympathy and empathy for him as someone who seems to be incredibly sensitive 
and to have a lot of trouble figuring out his identity and who he is outside of the game of basketball or even within it. Um, But when he has homophobic insults, misogynist insults, when the language he's using in an exchange with the actor Michael Rappaport um, become public, you can't ignore them. And I wanted to ask, as you read them, does that language speak to you as overtly homophobic or does it feel grandfathered in as something that may have its roots in homophobia, but at this point is not the, the deciding factor in why someone uses it? If that makes any sense. Yeah, I think the short answer is B. I think that that latter part is essentially it, but a couple things really quickly is a, um, I'm a huge friends fan. And so the picture in my mind of Michael Rappaport for all of my life will forever be uh, in season five of friends when he is Phoebe's boyfriend. And then they broke up because he shot a bird. And I'm sorry <laughs> that this was the way that his yeah. sort of public identity has gone. If you want me to replace that for that, you, he's, uh, he's called me. See you next Tuesday on social media a number of times in defense uh, of a website that he enjoys. So yeah. that'll, that'll help you flip that switch pretty quick. Yeah, that's, um, <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that. Season five of Friends, I'm not watching that anymore. <laughs> there but, you uh, go. <laughs> I, I, and, and before I get to the actual words, I, I think the first thing, and this is part of what I know Kevin Durant hates, but like people playing sort of amateur psychiatrists or psychologists around him. Um, but the first thing that I, I think of is not necessarily the choice of words, but just the anger in Kevin mm-hmm. Durant. And, you know, you just touched on this, but um, there's something there, like there's more than just you know, the idea that he, you know, maybe he was insecure because he was tall, which was something I think was talked about in the past. Um, I don't know what it is, but something seems like it makes him angry. And so without, you know, knowing why all people can do is sort of dissect what he's, you know, saying. And that's another thing that kind of affects me here with Kevin Durant, because I in no, in no sense of the word believe that, um, that Kevin Durant is homophobic. I don't think that he is somebody who dislikes gay people um, for several reasons, not the least of which is that he spent a few years in, you know, the Bay Area in San Francisco being, you know, almost like the gay capital of America. Um, And, you know, he's been extremely nice to me. And I I had this weird, uh, you know, you pick up certain things um, and like right after, not right after I came out, but after I came out publicly, like the first interview I did with Kevin Durant on the basketball floor, like before the camera turned on, he was especially nice and like asked me how I was doing and, yeah. and seemed genuinely concerned. And I was like, wow, that doesn't really happen. And he's never done it since, but Hey, uh, maybe I was reading into something there and saying, you know, him being knowing my situation, it was being especially thoughtful. So I'll say that on the front end. I don't think that that, that is the case whatsoever with KD, but um, I think there's sort of a, a lack of awareness when you use these words. And this is the way I always break it down there because, you know, people can say what they want about, what the intent is. And like I just said, I don't think that Kevin Durant said, I'm going to use these words so that other gay people or gay people will be hurt. I don't think he said that. But um, the way I break it down is if a young person struggling with, in this case, probably his um, sexual identity, um, hears these words used at that level of hatred, right? And, And I don't know, you know, I don't care what Kevin Durant said afterward about him and Michael Rappaport always getting into it. Um, there was anger there. And, mm. and if a young person hears that and says, wow, you're using those words in particular to get across this level of hate, then there must be something wrong with me, right? Because, right. Or, or, you know, they're, they're, I might not, you know, and so that, that's just, it's, you know, death by a million paper cuts. And so, um, you know, I experienced that growing up. And fortunately, like I had enough to distract me, I had enough good things around me with career and family that, you know, it didn't affect me that much. Um, but man, like you think about it 
um, in retrospect, and it's just terrible. And, you know, I've, I've done some, a lot of interviews, like, on a lot of, you know, the subjects of LGBT in sports, and, you know, you start hearing the same stories over and over again, and you just realize, wow, not only was I not alone, but, man, that's like a lot of, of people saying the same thing. So clearly it, it affects people. And so, you know, I, I know Kevin Durant said, you know, that he, didn't, he wishes people didn't see that. But I also just wish, you know, in private settings, whether it be he or anybody, just don't use those words because either they're going to come out or you're going to say them in a time where other people are listening and where you shouldn't have said it. And so um, it's just more harmful than anything. And, you know, Michael Rappaport isn't, you know, huddled up, curled up in the corner because Kevin Durant called them all these mean names. Like, you can use any other names. <laughs> and they're, just, they're not going to land um, any worse or better than these. It's just, it's, it's just this, these phrases that people have been using for so long now, and they just get used to it, and it, they don't recognize the harm that it can do. Izzy Gutierrez is with us here on Spain and Fitz, and I agree with you. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about it doesn't always matter what your intent is if your impact is something different. And in the case of using these words, even if you are not associating them with homophobia at all, they're just sort of insults that have been thrown about for the entirety of your life. Um, it doesn't mean the impact of you using them won't be the same. And uh, I remember writing a story a couple of years ago when OCU Minora and LaShawn McCoy were having a beef on social media and they kept calling each other variations of the word woman or girl, mm-hmm. happy Mother's Day. And I wrote a story about it and I just said, you know, if you are consistently seeing that and, and women is essentially a stand in for inferior or less than or weak, that will penetrate the way people see women and way the way we see ourselves. It matters, even if that's not mm-hmm. why you're saying that. Um, and the same goes for what Kevin well, I mean, Grant is doing. Yeah, I, homophobia is rooted in misogyny. It's rooted yes. in sexism. It's, it's that. It's, you know, men are greater than women, so any man that has any sort of female tendencies must be lesser than, which is obviously absolutely insane. And so any chance that, you know, I get and any chance anybody should get to push um, you know, uh, whether it be in sports or anywhere, it's for the equality, uh, you know, women's e- equality movement. Like, I'm always championing that because it's the same thing. You know, if we see each other as humans and see each other, um, you know, in the same light, like, this is what I love about, you know, social media and everything being out there, right? And I say this as somebody who's taking a break off of Twitter right now. I was going to say, I couldn't find you on Twitter, but <laughs> very smart of you. Yeah. <laughs> But just with the flashlight being shown on everything, the spotlight, and, like, the world is out there. Like, you know, all these things that were considered taboo and, and like, there's, there's billion-dollar industries in, what, like, in the sex industry and, like, all these other things that were, like, supposedly taboo. There are actually human beings that do these, you know, involve themselves in these things, and there's nothing necessarily to be ashamed about, right? Every, like, and so all these things that come across as insults, some people are like, eh, well, okay. You know, I was laughing about this, a little off topic, but uh, I forget. Okay, we only the, have um, a minute, though, so you have to give your, your story okay, quick. That's fine. There was, there was an athlete who made a joke about seeing uh, this guy's wife dancing or paying, you know, for his, or his girlfriend dancing at the club, and that's how he could afford his shoes or something like that. And I said, <laughs> well, that guy ends up winning because his wife's got a good job, makes a lot of money, and can afford her husband to buy her husband some shoes. And so right. there's nothing to be ashamed of there. So that's just the way I see sort of all of these things. Yeah. It is easier to say from a position of strength and, and confidence, of course, and that's why what you said earlier about what Durant had to say is so important. It'll be interesting to see if the NBA steps in. They're private messages, so it's not the same as something said on a court or otherwise. Right. But obviously a statement does need to be made as we're seeing players across leagues 
uh, stick their foot in, in their mouth. And in his case, I agree with you. One of the things that worries me the most is just the anger. I just, that Those kind of exchanges are mm-hmm. so pointless and meaningless for adults to engage in. They solve nothing. Uh, so it's sort of confusing yeah. why someone with his success and everything else uh, bothers, bothers at all. Izzy, thanks for coming on. Famous and stuff, great too. job with the goldfish. Everybody needs to go check out Izzy's goldfish. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, friend. Izzy Gutierrez with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up, we're going to get into that Supreme Court case with the NCAA with an expert who was kind of live tweeting it, going to tell you everything he heard and why it matters. Andy Schwartz of Sports Economics coming up next here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, solo tonight. You were supposed to be listening to Mets Nats, but that got postponed due to COVID. You heard that in the update there. No update on when they will get to start playing, but we do have Astros A's at 9 Eastern right here on ESPN Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can catch all the stuff you missed tonight and other nights and some pre-party, after-party, digital-only content we do sometimes. Uh, Joining me now to talk about this week's monumental SCOTUS plus NCAA case, uh, an expert in the field from Sports Geekonomics, Andy Schwartz. Andy, thanks for the time. Thanks so much for having me on, sir. So I was trying to follow along, although I've been quite busy, with your loose sort of transcription of NCAA versus Alston. And just to set this up for people, can you brag for just a second, but not too long, about the idea that, you know, this is a case that you helped conceive. And in the meantime, the NIL bills are also things that you helped conceive. So give a little context as to why I have you on the show tonight. Yes, thank you for, for allowing me to pat myself on the back. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I and a couple other economists um, basically uh, went and shopped around to lawyers, not that we would get money on it, but the idea. We said, you should file this lawsuit back in 2003 that became a case called White v. NCAA. And the only reason that's particularly important is that Alston, the case that was at the Supreme Court today, was essentially uh, White 2. It was the sequel um, because the settlement in White expired and then the lawyers refiled the case essentially thereafter. And I helped them draft that uh, in the ways that economists do. You know, we can't practice law. Um, so kind of like they're at the birth of this case. And then also similarly, I, it was my conversation with Nancy Skinner in California um, that led to her filing that bill. So I was like there at the conception of that too. And and this is a big week for both of us. Yeah, I just remember we were doing a panel at the ESPNW Summit about uh, NIL and, and paying players. And Jay Billis said, you know who you should call to have on this panel with me is Andy. And if Jay Billis gives you the thumbs up, even though he blew me off for Sports right. Center tonight, uh, I, still, I still believe uh. in his opinion on things. Um, so let's go big picture for those who aren't dug as deep as you are on this about what they're arguing here, and the biggest takeaway so far. Okay. Um, when you say they, do you mean the NCAA? Well, or what, is it, what is it? Yeah, what is at play here as, as, as we're hearing presented arguments from the NCAA and SCOTUS is asking them questions? Yeah, so, so you have to recognize, first of all, I'm not a lawyer, but I do, I do work in the law, and so I absorb this stuff. Um, when they get to the Supreme Court, a lot of the stuff that we think is important like, you know, like big questions about like, what's an athlete worth and da 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 da. Um, that, that's not really what's being decided. The, this case was about really, in some sense, technical questions, whether or not when the district court judge, uh, Judge Wilkin out here in Oakland, um, when she asked certain questions, should she have 
looked for answers or should she have assumed the answer? And the assumption is the NCA is good because the NCA is amateur. And that sounds kind of crazy that like, well, of course, if you could, you could look, why not look? Why not? Why just make an assumption? But that was the NCA's argument. And plus they said, and the fact that she did look, it didn't matter that when she looked, she said, this is not good. You have to ignore that evidence. It's almost like saying, oh, the search warrant was no good. So you have to ignore it, except that's criminal law. In civil law, we don't have anything like that. And so that's what going in was really the big question was, does the NCAA have such a noble purpose that the normal questions you would ask any company that's any set of companies that are talking to each other about prices, which is normally illegal, um, can you investigate that or do you have to say, oh, no, 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 let's stop at the border. We're in Amateurville and we're not allowed to, to investigate. So that's what I thought going in we were going to hear. First question out of, out of J- Chief Justice Roberts was, now, what's all this you say you're amateur? Athletes can get $50,000 insurance uh, uh, policies. That's $50,000 of value. That sounds like pay for play to me. And that's his quote, not mine. I, I never use that term myself. And, um, and I think that, you know, boom, from the get-go, the NCAA knew that they were going to be in for a rougher hearing than they thought. Because right. if, it had been defer- if it had been deferential, it would have been like, you know, the sort of thing we saw them see in Congress, especially from Republicans when the NC is there, where they, they give a long speech about how much they love playing Division Three field hockey and, um, and how great they think amateurism is. Oh, and by the way, are you comfortable, sir? And then they go into their, their questions. It wasn't like that at all. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, and I'm talking to Andy Schwartz of Sports Geekonomics, who's an expert on NCAA, uh, the the model of amateurism that is under attack and has been for a long time. But this feels, and I keep saying this, and maybe I'm naive, it feels like yet another sort of pivot point where the questions that they're asking are much more informed than we've seen before, and they are catching up. The, the lawyers for the NCAA in answers. And one of the ones that you pointed out is this argument that they keep making that if they start paying players, people won't want to watch anymore. And they're also arguing that if that happens, the price of the players will go way up. Those two things do not jive. That's right. It's like, this is like, this drives me crazy. And no one really in the hearing focused on it. Like, think about it for a second. Why would you pay? Why do you, why does, why does ESPN pay you? They pay you because they think you'll bring in more ratings than I would. And I know that is true um, uh, because because um, any number is bigger than my mom listening. And, um, and, and so, um, right. And if they knew, like, let's just say like, oh, well, we have to pay Sarah $100,000 more. And if we, if we pay her more, fewer people will listen. There's no reason to pay you more than me. Right. And, and so, this idea that the schools are going to rush out and intentionally raise their costs so that not just accident, like knowing full well that by raising their costs, they will lower their revenues, not just their profits, but their actual rep, fewer people will buy tickets. It doesn't make any sense. The only reason that you can posit the world that the NCAA posits, which is that if there were no cap, everybody would race out tomorrow and start paying more is if they think that will please their fans. And if it will please their fans, then this idea that no one will come anymore is it doesn't it comes out of nowhere. And it's this paradox that really not only was it has been left unresolved in in the case. I don't actually wouldn't say it was left unresolved. I think the plaintiffs, my side, did a really good job of explaining. Actually, it makes total sense if you believe that the reason that the NCAA doesn't want 
schools to be able to pay us because they know they will and that nobody will mind and it will just low it just raise their cost and there's a big distinction in antitrust between things that lower demand that make the product less popular and things that lower your profit lowering your profit the antitrust laws don't care lowering demand they do and and so um you know whenever i see a paradox and there's a a simple change in your assumptions that resolves the paradox that's a really strong indication that the change in assumptions is warranted. And all you have to do to to fix that paradox is is change the assumption that people won't watch. And it was brought up, I think Judge Justice Alito said, well, people don't like high salaries in the NFL either, but they still watch. Right, right. And also, if you're the kind of person that's watching because you know they're not paid labor, you have some real issues, right? Especially knowing what we actually know. If love of the sport drives you, then go watch, like you said, Something like field hockey, something that doesn't bring in billions of dollars because you know that they're there for love of the sport. If you know that it's been deeply infiltrated by under the table payments and if you know how much money it's making the schools, then why wouldn't the fact that the NCAA makes billions of dollars make you less interested in watching? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it really, if, if amateurism is what drives demand, there should be zero difference between D3 and interest in D3 and interest and, mm-hmm. or if anything, more interest in D3 than D1, because D3 is more amateur than D1, because the, the, nowadays in D1, people get checks. Yeah. So, yeah. Andy Schwartz of Sports Economics is on with me. We could go on and on about this, but we're running out of time. So I wanted to ask you, what's really on the line here? We, we see a lot of people posting and writing stories about some of the questions coming out of this, and they are very smart and wise. And it certainly feels like, to your point, the NCAA is far more on its heels in this than they have been in the past in some of these engagements. But what's actually a possibility that could result from this conversation in this case? Yeah, so so I, I hope that people aren't expecting the, the world to get blown up, unfortunately. The, 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 the amateurism system is going to remain uh, in, in some form or another because the relief that's granted in this case, what the judge says has to happen, is essentially a, a, a moderate lessening of some of the rules, particularly as, as relates to payments by schools for education. So here's an example. The NCAA says that all we can do if, if, we, if we pay athletes for education, it's fine. No one cares. But if we pay them for anything else, it's not fine. So one of the things the plaintiff said was like, well, then why do you have a rule that says only two people per year can get a scholarship to go to grad school? Like if one person can get it and it's fine, why can't all of them get it? And the judge basically said, yes, if under these new rules, if somebody comes in and says, I would love to play football for you, I'd love to play basketball for you, um, but you have to promise you'll pay for my med school. When I'm done, they'll now be allowed to do that, whereas under, yeah. under uh, the NCAA rules, they can't. And Mark Emmer said, how could we possibly allow someone to get, get their grad school, pay, their medical school paid for? That's like giving them a Ferrari. And um, <laughs> as if, in his mind, there's no difference between educational payments and non-educational payments. But the judge said no. Oops. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 sorry. It's not going to, it's not going to, if they just keep what the judge said, make it so that somebody can walk in and say, I would like $50,000 to play football for you. Um, Now, I guess there's a tiny remote possibility that the Supreme Court says, you know, we thought about this for a while and we just don't think that makes any sense, but that would be, that would be the cataclysm of all cataclysms. And uh, I don't think that they're ready to go there. At the very least, they're certainly providing some of the smartest minds look at it and really great arguments against it that can be used in in later filings and, and attempts to change the system. Uh, Thanks so much for your insight, and thanks for all the tweets about it. It's been really helpful, Andy. Thanks. Nice talking to you again. 
Andy Schwartz of Sports Geekonomics. Man, such a big topic. I recommend reading some of what's come out because um, if you are sort of at all caught in, in which side you're on, I think hearing some of the really smart and wise questions that have been asked from the SCOTUS members will certainly help you uh, continue to understand the, the major hypocrisy that goes on in order to hold up this amateurism model while uh, the financials change so much. And Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, celebrating March deal days with month-long service and savings. Visit GoodyearAutoService.com for offers. Coming up, you guys told me some of the April Fool stuff I missed, and we've got a couple pieces of sound on some of those that are pretty good. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. April Fools, everybody. I got got today because uh, I actually believed that the Nats and Mets were going to play a baseball game for opening day. Like, I totally bought it. Like, they put out rosters, uh, they sold tickets, they told people that they were having an opening day baseball game, and so I thought I had the night off, and <laughs> there's no game. They totally got me. They absolutely got me. Uh, there's no baseball game. I'm here doing the show instead. Uh, it's Spain and Fit, Solo Spade, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We don't know when the the the, the Nats and Mets are going to get started. Today postponed, tomorrow postponed, maybe Saturday but all of that hinges on the COVID contact tracing that happens over the next hours and day uh, to see it, uh, exactly how that spread has affected the team and and uh, whether they can carry on with this opening series. We do have Astros A's coming up right here on ESPN Radio in about 15 minutes, 9 Eastern start. We're presented by Progressive, and you can subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast on the ESPN app, Apple iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts to hear anything you missed tonight or any other night and maybe get some pre- and after-party goodness. Uh, outside of me getting duped on April Fool's by having to do a show on my night off, there were some others that that went down. Uh, one was somebody put up some new menu items that they claimed were being sold at the Oakland Coliseum uh, Bart Bridge Food Court. Uh, one of these, according to the pictures associated with the new items, appears to be a fruitcake. The other is a half of a sandwich with meatballs and olives on it. I'm not sure. Oh, uh, sorry. Pigeon. Pigeon meatball sub is what that's supposed to be. And the uh, rat egg and nutria sausage casserole is what I thought was a fruitcake. Uh, these are very clearly not real, um, but someone tried to try to pass those off as an April Fool's joke. We also saw on Highly Questionable today, a very familiar face. Dan Lebitard opened the show as if to say, I'm back. I had a brief contract negotiation, but I've returned to the show. And it was, of course, not real. But it tricked Mina Kimes enough to believe that the next part of the show was real. And it had to do with her Seahawks and Russell Wilson and Adam Schefter. Here's a little bit of what that sounded like. What oh, is happening? Okay. Wait, hold on. Something crazy is happening on the internet. What? About Roy Williams? No, Russell Wilson. Hmm? Oh. Mina, we're, we're doing a show here. Adam Schefter is texting me. Oh, my God. God. So it's nice. on Twitter. Oh, my God. It is? Oh, He's boy. Leaving? At Mina Kimes is not going to be happy today. Dot, dot, dot. Duh. What? <laughs> Schefter tweeted that? Oh, God. Mina tweeted, Adam, please call me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can you call him? Can you call him? Call Adam Schefter right now. On call speaker. him right now. Please, on speaker. Call him right now on speaker. Mina, please. Hey, it's okay. okay You're going to be okay. I'm calling him on speaker. Okay. Oh, my God. I hope he picks up. 
Have you heard? Adam, I, I'm on Highly Questionable right now. I'm, I'm about to have a meltdown. Just have you heard the news? What news? You have, you have not heard about what's happening today. What is happening, Adam? The Seattle Seahawks, okay? The Seattle Seahawks are busy getting ready for the draft this month. Literally, I'm calling <laughs> HR on you. I'm calling HR on you. I'm calling HR on you, Adam Schefter. uh what some people who don't watch that show often don't get is that we don't do it live and we have all these conversations in between taping that they end up tricking us and putting on tv which is why sometimes we'll be fixing our hair when the show starts or talking about something and then they'll run it anyway Uh, so that was one of those moments where mina got duped by adam Schefter going all in with the full tweet and and the text messages um, you love to see it, especially because just before that, Mina reacted to the Dan video and said, even I wouldn't get fooled by that, uh, and then proceeded to get tricked by something else. Uh, also, PTI got a lot of people. Here's what that sounded like. We begin today with the blockbuster report that new Jaguars coach Urban Meyer will not use the number one overall pick on Trevor Lawrence, but will instead take Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields. Myers told coaches he was blown away by Fields' pro day and by the strong recommendation from Myers' former top assistant, Ryan Day. Plus, Myers plans to sign Alex Smith, who he coached in college, to mentor Fields and back him up at quarterback. Wilbon, what do you make of Meyer passing on Trevor Lawrence? Well, first of all, you know how much I hate pro days. And the fact that a pro yeah. day would, 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 would figure this heavily in a decision this massive, this major, you know, that just makes me angry. Let me say this. I told you off camera a few days earlier that Trevor Lawrence saying he was going to watch the draft at home, I thought something was weird about that, so maybe he's upset here. And I thought that Urban Meyer saying this is the way we're leaning, that's not a commitment. That's not saying we're going to take this guy and have his jersey made and put it on him right there at the draft. It's obviously very surprising because Trevor Lawrence has been said since the day he got into college at Clemson that he's a once-in-a-generational quarterback. To me, this feels, Mike, like a college move, not a pro move, a college move where you rely on the loyalty of your former assistant who's now coaching Ohio State and you want to do something good for Ohio State. I I don't think it's a pro move. I will say this, that when when you bring in Alex Smith, that's very smart. Alex Smith did a great job in mentoring Patrick Mahomes at Kansas City, knowing Mahomes is going to take his job. So if he's there with Fields, I think he can teach him a lot. He also proved in Washington that he can still win games. And his one loss record over time is really good. And I know what you say about a pro day, but let me give you one other thing here. All right, obviously Jacksonville stinks and they don't have a good offensive line. The fact that Fields can go 4-4-4 in the 40, he may have to run I mean, I, I can, How's that I can sort How'd of that see it. How'd that work for RG3 I, when he had to run? And it just, well, he look, got hurt. You want to Fields run is more when solid. you want to run. Yeah, but the point is you put yourself in harm's way much more often. Trevor Lawrence is big, fast, strong, too. He's going to be in harm's way a little too often. I just, it sounds to me as if you are a little skeptical still about Urban Meyer. I've always been skeptical about him in the pros, and I know you think he can do it right away, but this this is a return to college. This is a loyalty thing. I coached there. Ryan Day took my place. It's my it's my school. By the way, do you want to tell them or should I tell them? We'll both tell them. April, April Fools. Fools. <laughs> 
I mean, they sold that. You guys, they just did two and a half minutes, 100% genuinely as if this was happening. And I hope somebody was in their car, flipped it over to this, heard half of it, freaked out, turned it off, started texting everyone they know about it, and did not hear the finish. Because that would make it even better. Happy April Fool's, everybody. It was fun to hang out with you. You got Astros and A's coming up next. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz here on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.